0: This is a Wild Age Production Podcast. Welcome to the D&D
1: World. They're probably listening to us talk about clapping right now.
2: It's just going to be, this is the clap episode. This is the episode about clapping.
1: Clapping has a rich history.
2: Clapping in your Dungeons and Dragons game. <laughs> uh, how will do you do it? I think that's an episode for a later date, but uh, let's get on to this episode. Welcome to the Saver Die Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Carl. And we have a special guest today. Uh, special guest. Why don't you introduce yourself?
1: I'm Tim Ashley Jenkins. I'm a game designer. I uh, usually go by Ashley, but Tim's my first name, and me and Chris here go way, way back. So he calls me Tim, and that's fine. I'm a game developer. I'm working on a game called Grapple Force Arena for Galaxy Trail, who are the publishers. I mean, the developers of Freedom Planet, another indie game, who are publishing me, and that's most of what I do.
2: Yeah, Tim. Uh, mm-hmm. listeners may also recognize your voice. From another show on this uh network.
1: Yeah, me and Chris used to make the podcast Critical Wits way back in the, around the twenty eleven time.
2: Um, and it's fitting that we have you on for this episode, because you know, you're 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 designing a video game, and on this episode we're gonna be talking about the nineteen nineties D D arcade games.
1: Yeah. That's why they had me on as a special consultant, because they needed somebody who's played video games.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've never played a video game before. I was born in 1953,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I'm probably the middlest-aged person here. I'm just a tiny bit older than Chris, mm-hmm. so that's about where I am. I'm just a little bit more wizened and seasoned, so I help balance things out. Huh.
3: I think I'm probably older than you, but I have a, a severe arrested development, so we'll, we'll, we'll probably be fine.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a wash in that case.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but things weren't fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, no. <laughs> Are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now? Want to help support the show? Why not head over
0: to the Patreon site, Patreon.com/WGP. That's Patreon.com/WGP and help support the network for as little as $1.50 a month. That's right, $1.50 a month goes a long
3: way.
0: Thank you. If AD&D is number one, have we got a podcast for you. On the Roll for Initiative podcast, DMs Vince, Nick, and Matt. Hello, everybody. <laughs> and DM Matt. Hello, everyone. Check out all things related to the game that Gary built.
3: This is basically the module trying to get you to fight things when you shouldn't. Yeah. it's They basically taunt you.
0: They're being playful. Yeah. They're being playful. Yeah. They feature old and new modules, supplements, musings on rules, advice on DMing a game, and occasionally feature new writers and classic creators of all things one
2: And think of it this way.
0: Number appearing 2 to 12. 12 demigods hanging out together?
2: Yes, but the green man has nothing underneath him as a classification. Zero. No. Nothing. No. Just he's got a no. growth and abundance. We don't need to put down any other classification at all. We'll just give it to the mud man.
0: That's the role for Initiative podcast. You can find it on iTunes or at RFIPodcast.com. So you like AD&D 2nd edition but no podcast to listen to? Guess what? We got the cure right here. I got a fever. And the only prescription... The Thaco's Hammer Podcast. You want me to put the hammer down? Join DMs Glenn, Brian, Corey, and Full On Gamer as they discuss, debate, and review the world of second edition AD. Yes. Here. Give me a gin. Yeah, gin. that's that's DM Corey ordering drinks. Sorry, sorry, girlfriend's getting gin. Rules, modules, supplements, clones. Everything to e is fair game.
3: Someone lied to you, and there's an opposed role, and oh, they won, so you believe the lie. I know, but I don't, because I, the player, know that they lied to me. But you, the
2: character, have to act like you take the lie.
0: So listen into to a podcast where number two is number one. The Thaco's Hammer podcast, the best damn second edition ADD podcast ever. You'll find it on iTunes or at thacoshammer.info.
2: The d Arcade Games. I was actually introduced to these games by Tim with Original Game Box, which was a computer Tim built that did nothing but played old video games.
1: Yeah, this was before the days of like Raspberry Pi or whatever. I actually built mm-hmm. like an entire PC into like a little case that ran Windows XP that just booted into like an emulator front end.
2: <laughs> so that was my first experience with it. And then we played it for a few years just over and over and over again mm-hmm. and then it did release for like Xbox 360 yeah um
1: mm-hmm.
2: with the the Chronicles of Mistaro collection which is also on Steam uh Carl I think we had talked you had actually played these in I, arcades I yeah as I a played child.
3: the Tower of Doom in an arcade um my uh friend my brother and I who all played D&D together would go over to the arcade and play Tower of Doom and throw in tons of quarters, and we never beat it. Um, we got real close. We got to the Lich at the end. The yeah, blowing. that's the final boss. That's
1: the last boss.
3: No, he's tough. Um, that's
1: how they get you. I've played it in arcades, too, actually. Um, oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the reason I knew about it is because... Um, do you remember Cheese Boy Comics?
2: Yeah, I remember Cheese Boy Comics. It was
1: like this the, the local comic shop for a while where me and Chris are from. And... They actually had a cabinet of Shadow of the star in there hmm. for a while. They took it out eventually.
2: Yeah, because I actually live down the street from like their current location, and they don't have it anymore.
1: Yeah, it was a long time ago. Like, way long ago. And that's where I first yeah, saw God. it. And there was this other arcade, I don't even remember the name of it. That they actually had a cabinet and I actually got to play it there.
2: I'm never actually playing this game on an arcades cabinet. I have an arcade stick for like fighting games and Tim and I, before we uh started recording this, we just played through the game actually.
1: We still found new stuff. Like Yeah, we did. We uh, we played this game to death over and over again for years. And we just played it today and like found new stuff.
2: Yeah, like we found the morning star today is the the cleric. <laughs> and that is awesome. Uh, normally, I always play as the Dwarf. The Dwarf is my favorite character in Shadow of Mistara. <laughs> um, you would think Elf, but the Elf is not that good. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, well, she she does stop leveling up after a while. Because these games, even though they're action beat 'em up games, like, even though they're like Final Fight Streets of Rage type games, uh-huh. they still follow D&D rules.
2: Yeah, they have all the same level caps and everything. Like, it's amazing. I can't believe they took that much care into it.
3: In a lot of ways they're they're more true to the uh D&D rules than a lot of the RPGs that have come out of D&D.
2: That's very true actually because if you look at like uh I mean what came after the D&D arcade games, like I guess like the Baldur's Gate game, Baldur's Gate games and like um Icewind Dale and stuff like that and I know that especially when the D D games started transitioning post Second Edition into the Third Edition era. That like the Third Edition rules are basically unvideo gameable. <laughs> that was a big complaint that happened with um with the that era, like the D twenty era of D D games. Is none of the video games could truly recreate the tabletop experience. I uh, I remember playing on the game box the game that was sort of, like, the precursor to this, King of Dragons?
1: Yeah, that was uh, an arcade game, and they ported it to Super Nintendo.
2: Yeah, I think I played the... I I think I played the arcade version. Because it plays very similar to Tower of Doom, except you don't quite have... it. it it's, like, everyone's the fighter, basically.
1: So it's more of a traditional, like, beat up arcade game, with more of a dD and d flavor.
3: I played uh, King of Dragons on an emulator... Uh, back when I played a lot of emulated video games and I had no idea it was connected. I just felt like this must be some sort of knockoff uh, because I could tell how similar they were and I could tell it was using kind of like D and D ideas. Um, but from what I understand and what I've read is King of Dragons was like their sales pitch uh, Capcom sales pitch to D and D saying we want to, this is the game we're making for our D D action side scroller. And uh, TSR's complaint was, this isn't really like D&D. So maybe that's what's mm-hmm. fueled uh, the um, Tower of Doom and Shadows over Mistara titles to be so much like D&D. They're like, well, they're not going to say it this time. We're going to get every detail. Because well, yeah, you
2: aren't wrong. Um, I remember reading, this, I can't remember where I was reading it, but they're like, yeah, like King of Dragons... We were, like, gonna ship it as D&D, but then they're like, oh, we didn't get the license. So they, like, had to, like, pedal back on a little bit of it. Do you want to talk about the gameplay? Yeah. So it is a side-scrolling beat-em-up, uh, akin to, like, Streets of Rage or Final Fight. It even has, like, that aesthetic uh, of those, like, big sprite side-scrolling <laughs> beat-em-ups. Like, it's very much a Capcom game.
1: There's definitely a lot of Capcom in there. There's, like, a mm-hmm. lot of d d in there also.
2: Yes. Um, I think it is interesting to kind of talk about, like, how the two games differ. Because, like, Tower of Doom is a great, it's a good side-scrolling up d D&D game. Especially, like, a basic d d game where you kind of have to... You have to take it, like, kind of slow, and you can really plot out how you're going to move. And, like, it's advantageous to block and sort of, like, not go whole hog, and your positioning matters. And you've got different mobility options, so you can sort of, like, avoid attacks. And all of your enemies have special attacks that you have to be wary of. Like, like if you're fighting against um, troglodytes, they'll throw out, like, they're, like, sacks of burning oil, and they can stun you and things like that. But your your movement is a little limited it's very much a kind of a slow plotting game. But then with uh, with Shadow Over Mistara, they went, like, whole hog. It's like D&D, the arcade game, like, Turbo Edition.
1: <laughs> it's also, Shadow Over Star is a lot more focused on the multiplayer aspect of mm-hmm. it. Like, in Japan, it's actually not very common to, like, play an arcade game, and then somebody else, like a stranger, just walk up to you and be like, hey, can I play and just join in? It's not really a thing that happens so when they designed the first game they really designed it kind of around the single-player experience first Mm -hmm. so it's balanced a lot more towards like being able to take these things really slow and like not having a whole lot going on on the screen at once Um, Mm -hmm. so shadow and mistara they when they got the feedback they noticed that in the west people really liked playing um, Tower of Doom, multiplayer. Like, people would love to just g- jump in and, like, somebody's playing it as the fighter and somebody else jumps in, like, goes in as a cleric and they start working together. Even if they don't actually know each other or didn't plan this. So, they introduced more character classes in Shadow of Mistara that were sort of more teamwork-focused. Which mm-hmm. is the thief and the magic user. Which, both of those, if you're playing them by themselves, are not so great because the thief is a little squishy and sort of needs to be able to get the positioning and needs other people to distract. And then the uh, the magic user is extremely squishy and mostly just has like a bunch of these big flashy spells but can't actually like defend themselves. So those yeah. classes are more for if you're playing with friends, which it's more focused on.
3: That's neat because it correlates with the tabletop game as well. And that's the reason those classes were excluded from Tower of Doom, uh, is because... You couldn't solo as a mage or a thief, so they thinking of it as a solo experience, they didn't include those classes.
2: Yeah, because I've played Tower of Doom quite a bit over the like the last few years. I actually, there was a time where I liked it because it was more slow-paced, and you can kind of take your time through it. You know, you didn't have the fairy popping up in the corner being like, go!
1: <laughs>
2: to me, Shadow of Mistara feels more like a beat-em-up first. Whereas Tower of Doom feels more like a tabletop game, where I'm planning out how I'm gonna like go through this encounter, you know, instead of like aggressively hitting things head on, I I played a little more defensively, and I I like that it was pared down. I think as I've played more, I definitely do think that. Um, Shadow of Mistara is probably the better of the two games, but they're so different that it's very hard to actually compare them.
1: Yeah, um, if you're coming from, like, a background of, like, being interested in D&D and wanting to try, like, a more D&D games because you like D&D, definitely Tower of Doom is a better gateway into it than Shadow of Mystara. Feels like it's adhering more to the D&D formula a little bit. They both do. A lot. But with Tower of Doom, like, when you go into, like, a cave, a little narration box will pop up, being, like, the pungent smell of mildew emanates from the dungeon walls, etc. <laughs> so, you actually get that kind of narration, and it shows, like, the fighter, like, unsheathing sword, like, lighting a, a lantern. The lantern just immediately disappears, but it's sort of like, oh, it's like D&D, you gotta, like, light the torch and everything. It sort of goes yeah, through you, the Yeah, you enter
2: into it. the dark cave, and they light their torches and it like you know now the area is illuminated
1: yeah so it's like goes through the ritual of it a bit more both of these games they're really flavored like a DD session in that it sort of narrates to you what is happening through the text and it does it in second person it's not like mm-hmm. oh the brave adventuring party went ventured forth to the hills etc it's like uh, it's like oh you come across a cave or like the elf tells you that there's a secret forest passage.
2: I also wanted to jump back because talking about the uh, the squishier characters, the thief mm-hmm. and the magic user. Um, they one thing that's kind of neat because you can solo the game as you can solo Shadow over Mistar as the thief or the magic user. Um, they don't have a shield. They're the only character classes who who don't. Mm-hmm. But they do get more movement options. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a pain in the butt to solo. I was actually, before Tim and I joined in, yeah, before Tim and I joined a game together, I was doing a playthrough as Magic User. And that's a neat thing about a lot of the game is every class has, like, very, very specialized roles. So if you're playing as a thief, you never have to have keys to unlock um, chests. uh, And so you get more treasure. If you're playing as the dwarf, you can break chests to get more treasure. If uh, The thief can dash into opponents to sort of, like, knock them backwards and make them drop an item, so, like, the thief mugs them.
1: The thief also can thief. see traps before they go off.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the dwarf is, like, if you're gonna try to solo a boss, mm-hmm. that's the thing. It's, like, it does the most damage out of anything in the game. Um, the magic user is very squishy, but if you sort of... <laughs> Like, in a real game of D&D, if your magic user just sits and saves their spells, when the boss shows up, they can just go Nova and destroy it. Um, the fighter can chain his rising attacks together, so you can actually juggle enemies, even bosses. If you have, like, the right timing, you can catch a boss as it's falling from your first rising attack with a new rising attack, and just keep them in the air until you destroy them.
1: Uh <laughs> um- you mentioned about saving the spells. The way the spell progression works is actually, it's, you can say these are the only beat ups that have Vancean magic in them. It is just like you have like this many magic missiles prepared and this many like lightning bolts and what have you, and it's based on your character's level, like how many spells you have. And once you cast them, you just forget them. You don't have like a magic meter. You have like a little menu of spells, and once you cast them, you just forget them. Yeah,
2: they took a lot of care, and that was a conscious effort on the part of the designers. They're like, we could put, you know, an MP system into this, but they didn't. They, like, consciously put Vancy and Magic into the game because they put so much care
3: into this game yeah.
2: to make it emulate classic D&D. Yeah, one um,
3: thing about the gameplay I want to mention before we move on is how different this is from any other product that has been based on dungeons and dragons i mean it has a certain aesthetic and feel that is certainly anime the gameplay is totally different than any other uh, rpg video game based on dungeons and dragons um so it's it's really interesting to look at it because it's such a standout in what is a pretty large field there's tons of DD video games and this one is so unique
1: yeah, there's definitely hasn't been a D&D game before or since that was this sort of like action-focused, brawly, fast-paced arcade game that was also really faithful to the rules.
2: Yeah, it's so faithful. I, I won't jump into that here in just a second. I want to kind of uh, touch on one thing with, um, you know, the feedback for the change from Tower of Doom to Shadow of Mystara. Uh, when you're playing in Tower of Doom, if you do have multiple people playing, they can't all play the same class. So if I'm already playing the elf and Tim comes up to the cabinet and goes, oh, I'm going to play as well, Tim can't be the elf. There's only one elf in the game. But when they you know, got that feedback to make the sequel, they actually gave everyone two palettes. Mm-hmm. So there, there effectively are 12 characters. And and they are different. That's a a really neat thing. Like, if you play as the cleric, one cleric gets, um, holy word. The other one gets, uh, I think insect? No, it's, uh, one gets earthquake, and the other one gets, like, insect swarm. That's really
3: cool. I did not know that.
2: Yeah. Um, the the wizards, or so the magic users, one of them gets cloud kill, the other one gets, um...
1: I think meteor swarm? Yeah. And they're and they definitely are all, like, real d d spells.
2: Yeah. And I think we'll we'll jump into that now, how the game emulates basic d because, god, there's so much here to talk about. <laughs> it's so good. Um, your thieves can backstab. Uh, your clerics can't use edge weapons. Uh, your um, cleric
1: can turn undead.
2: Cleric does get to turn undead and, uh, most instances the undead that you're playing against in these, because you're high- you're like if you're playing Shadow of Mistara, I think you start off as, like, 12th level or something like that. So anytime you turn undead it just destroys them. And really, you're just fighting skeletons and ghouls. Mm -hmm. Um, Um,
1: elves are immune to the, uh, to the paralysis paralysis of ghouls. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: um, God, I'm trying to think. I, I don't think that the dwarf can use the two-handed sword. I'm almost positive they can't, but they can use the battle axe. <laughs> Which, Carl, if you remember from our 1991 Black Box, a and d episode.
1: So, like, all the spells in the game, sort of the gameplay approximation of them is, like, as close as possible to how they're described as working in the tabletop game. So, like, we cast Fireball, and, like, a little bead of light goes down, and the light creates a blast of fire in an area. The lightning bolt, like, comes out as, like, a line. The magic missiles are just these little sort of glowing darts that, like, fly around and home in on stuff.
2: Yeah, and a a nice thing that uh, I had just read about today, actually, is with lightning bolt, your enemy has to be on the same plane, horizontal plane as you. Mm -hmm. Because if you try to uh, cast a lightning bolt at a dragon, it just goes under the dragon. Dragons also, their breath weapons... They only use their breath weapons three times. Really? Yeah. Yeah. At yep. least in Tower th- of Doom.
1: I never even noticed that.
2: Yeah. Like, I don't... I have not done the calculation to see if that if the breath weapon is based on their current hit point amount. But, like, I'm pretty sure...
3: It almost has to be. Like I, I feel like that's not something that they would skip over. Well, unless it just made the... Whatever, the boss battle unplayable. I mean for whatever mm. algorithms they were using for damage output versus hit point I don't know if it was exactly based on a d8 versus a d6 damage yeah, die. Yeah, I'm not sure I don't know.
2: Well, the, the hit point totals are based off of like the actual achievable hit point totals.
3: Like Right. Um, right. I, but I'm it, not... would, it would matter what the dragon's hit point total was based off of. Like so the character levels seem pretty legit. But mm-hmm. if the characters getting special attacks and combo attacks and being able to play to output, you know, you're not getting one attack per round to one attack per round. You know, it's a beat em up, so it's all yeah. real time. So it, I, I would forgive them if they didn't pull in that one area. It's not, this is ruined, dragons. Yeah. Uh,
2: gargoyles can't be hit by non-magic weapons,
1: which is a real oh. pain if you're like playing solo as a fighter. Yeah,
2: I will say I think the worst experience I've ever had playing. Shadow of Mistara was trying to solo it as a cleric. Mm. It is not fun. Oh, it's a it's, it's definitely a lot out, funner actually.
1: to play with friends.
2: It is a lot more fun to play with friends. Like uh, we did that today. Um, yeah, we Tim was playing the elf and I was playing. I started off as the fighter, but then I died during a boss fight and I wasn't able to continue. And somehow my cursor had moved over to the cleric. Uh, and mm-hmm. I played as the cleric, but the, that was a really fun experience uh, doing cleric magic user, mm-hmm. or cleric uh, yeah. elf rather.
1: Yeah, I think cleric elf is a good pair mm-hmm. because the elf is kind of like a hybrid fighter magic user, and the cleric has like the good support stuff going on.
2: Yeah, I think um, the cleric and the elf actually have similar um, like attack stats. I believe they both do what would be the approximation of a d6 of damage because the elf uses a short sword, and the cleric uses a mace. Um, I do
1: think it actually rolls damage when you hit people, because I've noticed the same attacks doing different amounts of damage.
2: Um. Oh, when you uh, another nice thing is you have a fight with a with a troll in sh- uh, Tower of Doom, and the only way you can kill it is if you use uh, burning oil or hit it with a fireball. And if you don't have those abilities, you just keep fighting it, and then finally the DM of the game's like, Ugh, fine. A bunch of NPCs come off from the side, and they all throw <laughs> burning oil on it. You guys are done. <laughs> Pack up.
3: We're done for the night. Which is, which is, I remember how we beat it <laughs> yeah. at the arcade. We kept fighting it until the NPCs came in, and we were like, Oh, I guess that's what's supposed to happen. And then later I realized, Oh, we could have done that earlier? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's really true to the experience of
1: D&D. It's like, yeah. and the troll comes back, and you gotta figure out how to beat it. And if you don't, the DM is just like, okay, fine. We don't have all night.
2: God, I, I have to be somewhere tomorrow. <laughs> you guys are really not getting this puzzle.
3: Uh, look, I don't know how many can more you, hints I can, can give you. Can, can any of you roll under your intelligence? Can any of you? Any Anybody? Roll, <laughs> roll a d20, and I'll tell you what happens.
2: Um... One thing that's great about this game, and I think, like, uh, other games sort of copped this from them, is it does have branching paths. So you can play this game a bunch of times and have it never be the same. And there's tons of secrets in all the levels. Um, But there is a flowchart that you can find online. So if you go to, like... If you go to, like, board 1A and, like, then proceed to go to, like, board 2B, you can't get to board 3A. I don't know if that's, like, the actual way the flowchart works, but depending on what you do in the game, you can't go back and do other things until you play through it again.
3: An in-game example is one of the first encounters is a town's being attacked, and in the town you can either go to the end of the town or you can go inside a tavern. And so, if you go inside the tavern, you don't get the encounters in the rest of the town. You fight in the tavern until you get to the boss. Yeah. Or, um... um there's
1: even parts where there's sort of... You're gonna go to, like, the, this level eventually, but the way, the way you get there can change. Like, very early in the game, there's a part where you can choose to, like, sail across a river. Or you can choose to go on land... And you played two completely different stages depending on that choice you make. Mm-hmm. That's in Shadow over Mistara. I haven't played Tower of Doom in a long time. But it, the way it presents these choices are very D&D-like. In that, like, it's just you can also hear that prompt of, like, what do you do?
2: Yeah, it, it, that's how the game actually frames itself. It, it kind of does, it's like, will you will you go through the, you know, will you go through the, the town and save the gnomes, or will you, like, continue adventuring onwards? Mm-hmm. And, I don't know, like, uh, there's also some paths that are only unlocked if you have certain characters in your party, so, like, uh, there's a certain point where you can, like, go... I don't remember what the exact choice is, but if you have an elf in your party, you get to go through a ancient forest that, like, you, the elf basically guides your party through, and you come across, like, a thousand-year-old tree, and then it's like, oh, many adventurers have gone through the thousand-year-old tree, but none have returned. <laughs> it's just, like, that level of hamminess. It's so
1: good. It's really good.
2: Yeah. Um, there are a couple things, like, uh, you know, there's a collection of magic swords, and uh, there is a cursed sword that you can, um, you can pick up and, like, uncurse it. And it's re- the way you uncurse items in this game, because I think there's a couple different cursed items, is really, like, old-school d The way you have to figure out how to uncurse <laughs> weapons. You just have to try things. Like, There's, um, one of the cursed swords is if you swing it, like, a hundred times, then it becomes uncursed. And then it becomes, like, I think that's the dragon slayer. And then there's a holy avenger, which you have to have the cleric pick up eight times. (laughs) It's really, it's, like... You wouldn't think yeah. to do that, but it's sort of the same kind of, like, if, especially if you're playing it from a video game mentality. It's like, oh, how do I, like, what do I do to uncurse the sword? But if you have played enough basic d d you go, all right, well, like, how do I figure out what this magic item does? And then you just like, all right, I swing it a hundred times, or <laughs> I, like, look for a magical keyword on it. it. It's that sort of, like, that attention and, like, care that is taken to emulating... Not just even classic d d just d in general, in a arcade beat-em-up.
1: I think that's what's so remarkable about it, is because, on one hand, it's kind of hard to imagine a genre of video game like further removed from the experience of a tabletop RPG than an arcade game, a yeah. beat-em-up, where you're like standing up there, and it's like constantly driving you forward. But they did such a good job. Of sort of capturing the spirit of D&D and what it is while still being faithful to the rules and still being a good video game.
3: I think there's a um, a kind of a a path of of RPG video game design that's how can we get this experience closer and closer to what a tabletop D&D game feels like. And I feel like you see that with the Elder Girl, Elder Scrolls series, the Elder Scrolls series gets more and more in depth, mm. and more and more big, and more and more people to talk to, and more and more stuff to do. Trying to kind of emulate that feel of this open, huge world of a and game, and I think it's interesting that this is is not that at all. It's very kind of um, streamlined and and uh, like um, Tim was saying, it pushes you forward and pushes you forward, but at the same time, it feels so much like D and D when you're playing this game, because they pay attention to those tiny details that kind of get lost in the mire when translating it to a, to a video game.
1: Absolutely. Like, um, there's no character customization, for one. You get to name your character, and that's it. And, yeah. like, basic D&D like, didn't really have a lot of character customization in it. You had, like, your ability scores, but you'd pick your class, and that was just kind of your character.
2: Yeah, it was definitely more about how you played your character versus the mechanics and that that is something that doesn't really translate well into D like video game form um it yeah. comes it becomes more about the narrative choices you're making with like what branching paths you take
1: yeah and there's definitely like the sort of inherent expression in playing a game like yeah the way you play as your fighter might be like you're focusing on like the big rushdown combos Or maybe you're the one who likes to pick up all the items and stuff and use, like, the burning oil and the hammers and everything. Yeah,
2: I, uh, and it's weird that you say that, because I actually do play the dwarf a lot differently than I play the fighter. Like, when I'm playing the fighter, I'm trying to do, like, I do play in more of a rushdown style, where I'm being, like, super aggressive and I want to chain my rising attacks together. (laughs) Whereas when I play the dwarf, uh, I, like, I will just equip the shield and just counter attack, because like that's the thing you can do. You just get to counter attack. Like if you're if you're blocking and somebody hits you, you hit forward on the joystick, and you do a rising attack just to do it. But yeah, like I don't know. I'm trying to think of like more details for how this game like really emulates D and D, but I I can't think of anything off the top of my head.
3: Here here's a way it emulates D and D. Uh, there is a dragon fight in Tower of Doom that you don't have to do. You can (laughs) totally avoid it. And you are warned multiple times that you absolutely should avoid it. If you were smart, you would go the other way. And I remember distinctly in the arcade playing this with my brother and my best friend. We were not smart. (laughs) (laughs) And it toasted us. It toasted us. I mean, we lost all our quarter.
1: Yeah, it's just like in real DD where it's like, are you sure you
3: want to do that? Yes, the DM prompts you. Are you sure that's a good idea? Let me ask you three times. Well, okay. <laughs> they do the same thing in,
2: uh, in Shadow of the Star. And, like, the way that that fight starts, I can't remember if it's the same way in Tower of Doom, is the, like, you just die. Like,. It does its biggest yeah. breath attack and kills the whole party. Yeah.
1: There's <laughs> really no way to avoid it. And then if you even want to try and fight the dragon, you have to put in another quarter.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, That, like, branching off... But that, we
3: couldn't like, even be mad. Like, I remember playing it in the arcade and the dragon just destroying us, and I was just like, well, they did warn us three times, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean like the game did everything that it really needed to. It's like, hey, I, I asked you if you were sure. You said yes. Like don't don't come at me because your character died. I'm just a neutral arbitrator. Look <laughs> like, The dice are what killed your character, not me. I really shouldn't even ask you if you
3: were sure. I should have just said, yeah. yes. Like I was looking out for you. Go fight the dragon there's, then. There's there's no challenge rating in this. This is old school. Um It's true. One uh, thing uh, kinda the we
1: actually, uh, before we get to whatever that is, I just want to <laughs> mention a, a little anecdote of one time me and Chris played Tower of Doom, and we fought the dragon, and for some reason the dragon kept speaking to us in Spanish.
2: Huh. Was that, that Tower of Doom? I thought that was Shadow of Mistara. No, but that, w- it was that was a-
1: Tower of Doom.
2: Okay, yeah, and it, but the thing is, is like it happens every single time. Like, it happened multiple mm-hmm. times. But yeah, like, the, the dragon... I think it's because of the version of the game we were emulating? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, probably. It definitely was not supposed to.
2: Which is weird, because the rest of the game was in English.
1: <laughs> but the-
2: it's just so, that part was in Spanish.
1: I mean, dragons can speak Spanish if they want.
2: Yeah, and Maybe so I think are- we, like, had a long-running joke where, like, draconic, or, like, the dragon language is just Spanish...
1: <laughs> yeah, I do remember that now.
2: Yeah. So, an interesting kind of development thing um, with the d arcade games is that it became about branching paths and making story choices to go on and do, you know, a different path. Um, what they originally wanted to do was have it be a dungeon. Uh, we actually just, Tim shared a video with me today that, uh, I guess it's a, a feature that's on Chronicles of Mystara, but it's not translated into English. So it was like a a web magazine or something like that had translated it. Um, so you were they wanted to do it. They wanted to have the Dungeon and Dragons arcade game be a dungeon that you explore, and you can sort of make the choice to go down into further levels, which is a more faithful classic D and D like emulation, you know, right. like do we stay up on level two and sort of fight the stuff, or do we go down to level three and sort of risk it, but the the rewards are greater. Right. And they actually did bring that back for just a single portion of Shadow of Mistara, which is a cave of Raphael, mm-hmm. which is where you get the optional red dragon fight, where it's like are you sure you want to fight this <laughs> thing? Um... But it's just, an, like basically, you're falling down a hole, and it has different levels. It's, like, basement floor, like, 80, basement floor 90 kind of thing. But that was really interesting to find out in, in the, um, the kind of course of researching for this. Because, yeah, I don't know, like, like...
1: Because, in a beat-em-up game, you can move in all directions. You yeah. can go up and down, so you can put, like, doors up and down in a stage like this, and have it work like a maze or like a.
2: But they do like do a- that in, in Shadow of Mistara. Like, a lot of the secret areas, you go up towards, like, the. I, I want to say horizon. I don't think that's the right. Like, you push up to the edge of the plane, or down to the edge of the plane, and that'll put you into a new area. And then when you're done, you just return to the, the original path.
1: See, like, a lot of those beat-em-up games were just you go left to right, and then there's a pause at the end.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Shadow of Mistara and Tower of Doom really, really messed with that formula, sort of in service of making it more D&D-like.
2: Yeah. Especially the final level of um, Shadow of Mistara, where you... You know, there's a ton of different doors that you can unlock with, you know, you can do, they're unlocked by puzzles, there's some secret doors, um, and those lead into, you know, harder encounters, but with better rewards. I think it
3: would have been really cool to see just a giant mega dungeon emulated in a video game like this, but at the same time, I feel like what we got feels larger. Like, it feels like a bigger product because it's not all in one location. Yeah,
2: I still, like, I've played this game dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And I'm still discovering new secrets, like we talked about earlier in the show. Like, I found the Morning Star today. I don't know if I'll remember what path I took to find it, but there are definitely items where I know the location of. And, like, if I'm playing as the fighter or the, the dwarf, I can go, all right, well, I want to pick up this magic sword that will help me later on in the level. Um like I know like I I messed it up today cuz it was um we hadn't played the game in a while, but there's a sword called the Dragon Slayer which is on in the cave of Raphael. It's the floor right before the optional red dragon fight and I couldn't remember if it was to the left or to the right. Uh, it's to the left. So if you're listening to this and you want to play the game, it's <laughs> the floor before you
3: get to the red dragon. If you're playing the game right now on that level, oh, that'd be beautiful. <laughs> yeah, just just go to the left. <laughs> That's, just oh, stay yeah, can to we? Left. Can we call it the Rojo Dragon from now on? Yeah, the oh, Rojo yeah. Dragon.
1: <laughs> yeah, as the original draconic.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the the Rojo Dragon, spoiler, I guess. Uh, the final boss is the Red Dragon of of Shadow over Mistara. Um, you know, you have the weapon that. Is good at fighting her, and you get it in the level before the final, like you get the like penultimate level. I don't know. There's just like little things like that that really stick out to me.
3: Okay, um, we have to we have to pause for an important announcement. Okay. Dragon in Spanish is continuar. I'm not saying that right. Continuar. Yeah, I am, but I am no. saying that right. Here, here it. Conqueso. Continuar. So rojo continuar. That's the original draconic. That doesn't sound Ah. right at all.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The original
3: tricotta. That's what Google said.
1: Something about makes it feel more D anD D like. Is that like Tower of Doom or Shadow of a Star is not just like a dungeon crawl; it's like a campaign.
2: It is a campaign, yeah. It's sort of like uh, people who run through like B two Keep on the Borderlands or like you know, In Search of the Unknown or Castle Amber, those old modules that you, you've you played a hundred times, and you sort of, like, know where the things are. Mm-hmm. But you, so you can sort of, like, use your out-of-character knowledge to be better <laughs> at the game. Which is not technically talk- all that frowned upon in so let's, D&D in my
3: Here opinion. Here's something I want to frame real quick. I feel like there is a big shift between for lack of a better word modern or current tabletop rpgs of character knowledge versus player knowledge where in old school rpgs player knowledge mattered video games still rely on player knowledge obviously because you're the player playing the video games and they're immensely fun video games are clearly fun they're doing well for themselves people like them (laughs) um And so the idea that that style of play is somehow just naturally inferior um, really irks me.
1: I feel like video games becoming more developed and more popular and prominent, more sophisticated, kind of made it to where tabletop games ended up being more about, like, sort of narrative and character and, like, collaborative storytelling, because video games couldn't really do that. So... Since like the sort of aspect of like challenge and sort of mastery was sort of more like the video gamey kind of
3: easier easier to emulate through electronics. I see what you're saying.
1: Yeah, um, so
3: Which I'm not the, I'm not necessarily I feel like D and D generates a story regardless of the way you play it. I absolutely. think I think D and D is a storytelling game in its nature because it will create a story. I guess the point I've always had in my mind is that clearly this style of play is fun. Like, it's yeah. not... You know, this is a roundabout way of just saying different strokes or different folks. I apologize yeah. for this.
1: No, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that you was kind of the point stroke. I was
3: trying
2: to make is that this is very much in the vein of classic D&D and that I can play this a hundred thousand times and memorize where things are, much like I could... B2, or even, like, a, I have an instance of this with, like, B5 horror, is it B5 horror on the hill? Am I getting those right?
3: That sounds um, right.
2: Yeah. So, there's a dragon fight in B5 horror on the hill, and I know that there's a dragon fight, Uh, but that didn't stop me from fighting the dragon and, like, trying to, like, I know as a player where the dragon-slaying sword in this game is. So, like, if I knew where the magic sword in B2 was, I'm gonna go, oh, well, like, there's a magic sword over here, so we should, like, make our way to this part of the Chaos of Chaos. <laughs> and I think that is very much inherently a classic d d thing that, like, the game accidentally
1: <laughs>
2: emulates. But still emulates yeah. it, because it, it's really faithful to that d d experience. It's um, definitely
1: very much about, like, overcoming the challenge.
2: Yeah. Like, even today when we played it, we were like, we I think it was the first choice where it's, do you go over land, where you'll fight more monsters, uh, but it's, like, quicker, or do you go by boat, where you may encounter less? And I was like, oh, I don't want to go by boat, because that ends in a black dragon fight if you don't do it right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I was like, I um, don't want to fight the black dragon right
3: now. I've not played um, the... the xbox uh, 360 or the steam version i've only played this either on the arcade with actual quarters or on an emulator with unlimited uh quarters um, welcome to the D D world <laughs> yes welcome to the, welcome, welcome the D world my question is on the xbox 360 version and or steam version do you have unlimited quarters by nature or mm-hmm. do you select that do it- you change that it tracks how
2: many lives you have. It also a neat thing about the uh, Chronicles Mistaro like port is that you can actually introduce house rules. So like Oh, that's neat. Yeah, you can like basically up the amount of gold that enemies drop. You can do a thing called vampirism, where every time you hit an enemy you get a little bit of life back. Um
1: You can make it to where items don't have durability anymore, they just last forever.
2: Mm-hmm. You can um Make it so that when enemies hit you they eat through your money first. There's all you kinds can of, see different a lot of house
3: like rules.
1: twists you can put on the game. And you have unlimited credits, but it does
3: But yeah, here's, I... here's here's a thing about this game that I am surprised about. It's no less fun ha- playing having unlimited quarters and knowing you're gonna win eventually. It's still a blast.
1: Yeah. Like I'm still trying not to die
3: right even though yeah it it still works like you would think that would ruin the experience but no i'm
2: definitely playing the game trying not to die A, a lot of times when i'm just playing by myself like doing a like a single player run through i'll put on the house rules that like make it harder to die so i'll put on like vampirism and the thing that like gives you more money and then the thing that like eats through your money first. But, like, I'm, I'm trying not to die. But the game is difficult enough and challenging enough that, like, it still
3: happens. And it's just fun to play. It's just a fun-to-play game. I mean, like, there's definitely less intensity when you're playing it on, on one of the emulated things than when you're jumping quarters into the machine. Because, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I had my $5. That's what I had. That's as much D&D arcade game as I was going to get. And so every death was was uh uh nearer to the end of the evening for me. Um but man it's it's just a well-made game. It's fun.
1: I yeah. think part of what gives it that fun even when the stakes are a lot lower is that it's a this wide open game with so many branching paths and so many secrets. Like there's so many things you could miss. So you're not necessarily playing to like oh, I want to try and play without losing all my lives or my quarters, but it's like, I want to see, I want to find new stuff.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point.
2: Yeah, I'm never trying to speed run this game. Like, typically I'm just trying to find new things. And there's so many things! There's a lot of things. I've only, like, I've played about 17 hours on the Steam version. Uh, maybe 18 hours now after today. Um, and I've only found 77% of the treasure in <laughs> Shadow of Mistara. <laughs> like, there's still a quarter of the treasures in the game that I haven't found. It's great, like, man. Um, I do want to kind of move on, I think, to the next topic, which is what works in the games and what doesn't. And uh, I'm having a hard time thinking about what doesn't work.
1: Um, I actually have a thing but oh. that's a little fiddly about it. Is that the inventory system can yes. be a little cumbersome if you're not used to it. It takes it, like a. It takes me like a full like third of a playthrough if I'm playing like cold to like yeah. Reverse well, I was having trouble
2: hours. with that today because um, I had yeah. switched halfway through the game from a class that doesn't have magic <laughs> to a class that does have magic, and I was like, "Oh, I used the wrong spell. Oh, I didn't mean to use that spell. Gosh darn it!"
1: Yeah, I feel like there maybe could have been a better way to do it with, like, the same amount of buttons. They wanted Uh, to have it be, like, a six-button game, but they couldn't have, like, four players with six buttons all going on the same cabinet. Mm -hmm. So the way it works is that you have a button to open up your inventory, and it makes a little ring around your character that sort of represents all the items they're carrying, and you can switch to other rings that show, like, the spells they have cast. And then you have, like, a use button, that whatever you have highlighted in your inventory that you have, like, selected, you push that button and you'll either use that item or cast that spell. But it can be pretty fiddly, and there's it's kind of hard to, like, remember what you have highlighted yeah. a lot of the time.
2: Especially if you have, um, like, consumable items, because you... Eventually, you run out. So, if you have, you know, your flasks burning oil, if you use all of them, that button then just becomes a Ugh, I don't know what to do with my hands button. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> another another problem is that while you're navigating your inventory and stuff, like monsters are still like popping you and things, and you can't attack while you're doing that.
2: Yep. And that's a problem that I have with playing magic using classes is because like. I don't know if you noticed, but when I was playing the Cleric, like, because you have two rings of magic, so, um, and all spellcasting classes have that, they have two rings that's just spells, and then they have their inventory ring, and to navigate between them is, like, you, you hit the jump button to switch between them, um... But switching between three rings and then switching between the items and those rings is really cumbersome. So eventually I just didn't use any of my consumable items when I was playing as Imagine Using Class. I think you kind of did the same thing. Like, I don't <laughs> think I... You didn't really... The elf has infinite arrows, which is a nice thing. But I don't think you yeah. used any But arrows. I didn't use them. <laughs> yeah. Because
1: it was just such a pain to, like, go back and forth between the spells in the inventory. Mm-hmm. It's a It's a tough egg to crack. Like, I do not envy them. Like, figuring this out. But you can tell that it was very important to them to have, like, an inventory and items and spells because that's such a huge part of D&D. Yeah. It, it just had to be in there. They mm-hmm. they could have just not had it. They could have not had items and, like, had a spell button that just did, like, special attacks or something. And yeah. they probably could have gotten away with it. But it wouldn't have been, like... It would have been more of, like, a and d themed game than a D&D game and d game, if you know what I'm trying to say.
2: I think one thing that doesn't really work in the game, it's when you're emulating it or playing it on a port and you do have the infinite lives, um, is you start to play really recklessly and the game punishes you for that. <laughs> I think the game definitely wants you to use, because you have a block feature for every game. Class And it, and it, it is very important because, like, the Cleric has the highest block, like, hitbox, so, like, they can block some attacks from above that other classes can't. So they took the care to put that in there. They really want you to pay attention to your positioning, pay attention to the range of your attacks and, and sort of how you're getting in and out and how you're approaching fights. But when you have infinite lives, you sort of <laughs> don't care about that because there's not really a punishment and i think specifically for if you're emulating the game which you don't have to do because it's only $15 to get it off xbox live or steam i don't know it takes me about $8 to get through the game on like master mode <laughs> so like you know about uh, like 850 it takes me it takes me about 850 to get through to get through the game on the hardest difficulty which is 40 like 42 quarters but <laughs> that's a lot of lives <laughs> um, but if I didn't have infinite lives, I think I would be. If that was like eight fifty cold hard cash, like <laughs> clinky money, I would probably learn to become good at the game. <laughs> um, I guess. Do we have anything else we want to say? I mean, like th- we were talking about what works in the game and what doesn't. I think like the majority of the game works in the game. Like, we've spent an hour gushing over this thing. So I think it's fairly safe (laughs) to say that most things in this game work. (laughs) But there are just a few bits that, like, are not as great.
1: Yeah, And they're not even that big of a deal. It's very ambitious of a project. It's super ambitious. So it sort of stands to reason that it wouldn't just completely come together. Mm-hmm. There's a it's a little rough around the edges in some places, yeah. But it kind of adds to its charm, I think. Like it doesn't detract from the enjoyment of it.
2: Mm-mm. All right, well, I think that's gonna do it for us here uh, for this episode. Um, I guess we'll do like we do with every review, even though there really wasn't a review. And uh, would you recommend this product or not, Tim? Would you recommend the Dungeons and Dragons arcade games? Wow. I
1: changed my mind.
2: Oh. Not like, worth it. Huh.
1: I'm I thought sad. you were,
2: like, really on board throughout that whole episode, but... Um,
1: when well, we really got to talking about the inventory, it just... Uh...
2: That just totally ruined it for
1: you? <laughs> no, I'm I'm kidding.
2: You know what? Now I'm thinking about it, and it was really <laughs> frustrating.
1: <laughs> no, no, it's good. <laughs>
2: hmm. No, I think <laughs> the game might be garbage, actually.
1: No, it's good. mm
2: I don't know. Like, it could Um, be better. I'm gonna um, say... uh,
1: Okay, I'm gonna be real now. When I recommend it. And I'm definitely gonna say, this is very, very good. If you... If you're gonna meet it halfway, I think, with sort of... In the places where it's kind of rough around the edges, there's, like, a whole lot to love about this game. Like, Mm -hmm. if you are prepared to, like, deal with, like, a slightly clunky inventory system... To sort of gain the flexibility that it gives you. As opposed to, like, the sort of non-flexibility you get in, like, every other game of this kind. Where you just, like, walk left to right, punch enough bad guys, and then you punch the big bad guy at the end, and that's it. It's definitely, like, I think probably of the side-scrolling beat-em-up genre, it's, like, the richest and deepest ever. If you're into, like, basic D&D and stuff, there's just tons and tons there for you. Like I, when I first showed this game to Chris, I was just like lighting up a, like a Christmas tree, just well, seeing him like recognize all the little touches. It was just such a joy. So, if you like D and D stuff and you like games of this kind, then you should be playing this already.
3: Carl, what about you? I think if you are a video game player, regardless of your relationship to Dungeons and Dragons, whether you enjoy the brand or not. This is absolutely something you should play. You really owe it to yourself to check out this title. It's a lot of fun, and it is it's it is a standout of the genre, uh, like Tim was saying. It's so rich and deep compared to stuff like Final Fight and Double Dragon before that. Now, if you're a DD and d player, it's a, a harder thing for me to recommend because... I find typically people who like tabletop Dungeons and Dragons, when they look for a D&D video game, they expect an RPG experience. And that's not what this is, nor is it intended to be. Um, even though it feels very much like D&D in its roots, it is not a um, Eye of the Beholder or, um, uh, you know, um, what's, what's the? Baldur's Baldur's Gate. Gate, that's the super popular one. That I couldn't remember. So, you know, in a way, I feel like it's almost an easier recommend as a video game to video game players than it is as a D&D experience to D&D tabletop gamers.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, I think for me, it's definitely, like, of course, it's a recommend. Um, I think that this is the best D&D video game ever made. Now, I'm not going to say it's the most D&D-like video game ever made. Um but just in claim. terms of polish and, like, new things to discover and just fun factor, uh, I definitely think this is up there. Like, you know, it, modules that were published back in the day, you know, they're, a lot of the story is what you come up with yourself. Uh, with this, you know, uh, there's not a lot of story there. There is story there, but, like, it's just a framework for having a good time and killing monsters. And I think in that way, it may be the best emulation of what old-school D&D is like. Where you're just getting together, having fun with your buddies, killing monsters, and taking their treasure. Which is very much the core gameplay loop of this. Uh, well, I think that'll be our show for this week. Uh, like we have always said from the beginning, and definitely didn't start saying three episodes, uh, keep it um, classic. Don't,
1: don't. Count your dragons. Don't count. Uh, I was gonna try and guess what the phrase was because I didn't know what it was.
2: Well, you should because we've definitely always said that at the end of episodes, and not something that Carl keyed me in on like three episodes ago.
1: Okay, what is what is? Keep
2: it a classic. Eat of classic.
1: Pretty good. <laughs> He's not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> no, but- It was stunned silence. I was in awe. <laughs>
3: It's, it's one of those jokes um, that doesn't get better <laughs> the more you hear it.
0: <laughs> well, let me tell you something, brother. The Savor Die Podcast Immortal Edition it is a production of Wild Games Productions, brother. It is produced for entertainment purposes only, Jack. All other uses are prohibited, dude. So be sure to visit them at saverdie.info for more information, brother. What you gonna do when the Savor Die Podcast runs wild on you? Ooh.